Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. Definitely fast-paced story. A lot happens. You don't have a lot of dialogue as people are traveling along the road for 100 pages. I'm not sure which series you are throwing shade at there with your 100 pages of travel. I can guess. Definitely Wheel of Time. Yeah, okay, that that would have been my guess. (laughs) Okay, I mean, that's fine to each their own. You know, it sounds like the author here is not even, is not attempting to have that level of detail. Hello, Raira fans, and welcome to another episode of Phantology Podcast. This is Steven, and today I have Ryan on with me to discuss the first trilogy from Michael J. Sullivan called the Raira Chronicles, right? The Chronicles are what we're, di- we're talking about? It's actually Raira Revelations. Ah. I think Chronicles are the prequel trilogy that he writes. That's the only mistake I'm going to make this whole podcast. Perfect. So this is a series that Ryan just recently finished. And I have a little bit of history with it. I tried to read the first book, Theft of Swords, oh, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago. And I got about 70 pages in and gave up. And it's currently on my did not finish DNF shelf on Goodreads. Ryan liked it a bit more than I did, obviously, because he finished the trilogy. So we should have some good dissenting opinions and some good discussion on the series. Right, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. So I think to summarize everything we talk about, I've been reading reviews on Goodreads and kind of thinking about my own opinion on the book and your opinion. And I think basically some people can get past the writing, which I think is Raeria Revelation's weakest point, and some people can't. I felt like I was able to get past the writing to enjoy the story and the characters, whereas you are probably much more oriented around enjoying uh, the way the author writes a book. And so that probably more strongly affected your own experience. That is a really nice way of saying that I'm a total snob when it comes to prose quality. I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, it doesn't make you a snob if you enjoy a different perspective or different expertise in writing. Yeah, I guess I'm no Jake. Jake from the podcast, he's a total snob when it comes to writing, throwing him under the bus right now. He is. Whenever we do our typical Sanderson fanboying, he's always there to point out how Sanderson is not as great at writing prose as some of Jake's favorite authors. Yeah, he's he's a Robert Jordan apologist. So before we get too far in, let me just briefly note that if you like the content we're putting out, Look us up on socials at Phantology Books. We're also excited to announce our website is now live, phantologybooks.com. Even the .com was available to us. So we scooped that up and we have a fantastic website up with all of our content, all of the links, everything you'd ever want about Phantology Podcast, including an About Us section so you can snoop on our real lives a little bit. You can see pictures of us. Yeah, pictures. Link, link, LinkedIn pictures available. In our nerdy, sexy greatness. Yeah, so check that out. Our Patreon account is also live. That's also at Phantology Books. If you really like our content, just give us a little thank you there. 
Whoa, I didn't know we got our Patreon set up. Yeah, yeah, this is breaking news. Patreon is live. Oh, so are we going to do what, a 50-50 split, me and you? Yeah, that's right. Just don't tell Ben, Josh, or Jake and we'll be good. Yeah, they're they're kind of supporting cast anyways. They just do it for the exposure. Man, okay, fans, we need you to tell us in Discord who your favorite Phantology voice is. Hint, it's got to be me or Steven. Just kidding. Let's jump into the content here. So, Ryan, what can someone expect going into this series? This is a series that I've seen a lot of different opinions on, and obviously you and I both have two different opinions. Right. I think that, in general, the opinions are pretty good, which is kind of why you were so confused after you read the book, or started to read the book, because you thought the writing was atrocious, and you couldn't even finish the book because it was just... It was too, you didn't enjoy it at all. You wanted to spend your time reading other things. And I respect that. And when you read a lot of the reviews, people just rave about this series, which is a bit, I mean, I, I, from the other perspective, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. It wasn't, I don't think it'll get into my top 10 favorite fantasy, but I did enjoy the series and I got through it pretty quickly. And I think in general, for somebody reading this book, it's pretty fast-paced, episodic series. So maybe if you want a break from your typical epic fantasy, long-winded, description, background-heavy books, I think this would be a good good series to read. Yeah, I was able to locate my Goodreads review that I wrote back in the day. Let me just read it for you quickly. I wanted to like it. I really did. But the writing just isn't there. The dialogue is cringeworthy and the events don't always make complete sense. So much exposition dump and telling rather than showing. Ultimately, it didn't keep my interest enough to even finish. I guess the pro was that I can appreciate the only true, truly good writing that's out there. So burn. I can't believe this has a 4.2 rating. Did I read the same book as everyone else? That is pretty harsh for me. I have to apologize a little bit because I, I, I don't know. That, that might be a bit of a hot take, but I didn't finish the book, right? I, I gave up on it. Yeah, I think it's definitely a hot take. You probably might get attacked by some dedicated Rhyuria fans. We might want to edit that out, in fact. No way, we are not pandering. Well, okay, just I, for everybody listening, just know I want to distance myself from Steven a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed the books here. I enjoyed them, so go after him, not me. Distancing is the word of the month, so I'm glad that you were able to, to get that in there. Oh, I, what? We have words of the month now? No. Well, for listeners who may not know, this is the COVID month. This is the month of COVID, which may turn into oh, the summer of COVID. Right. So we are distancing right. ourselves. Social. Social distancing. I exactly. see. Yes. You brought it all back together, Stephen. <laughs> so before we talk uh, too many spoilers, one interesting thing about this series was that it is originally self-published, right? Michael J. Sullivan has a very different route to becoming an author than, than I guess, more popular authors who just got on with an agent and started publishing, right? Right. So, I was actually reading that he actually finished the first six books before he was published. Now, when I say books, the trilogy that we talk about, Ryeria Revelations, it's three books and each book is kind of split into two episodes i guess he wrote it kind of to be like episodic like a tv show and so that's that's why i say six books even though there's only there's only three full-length books so 
each book has has two smaller books within it that have a full arc including a conclusion which is very interesting and different and i think it leads to it being a bit more fast-paced because all the books are resolved within maybe 12 hours 15 hours of reading the audiobook so and and did that split halfway through the book is that a result of just the self-publishing the the requirements around self-publishing like in order to really get yourself out there you have to always be coming out with content so he decided to split up his books make them shorter so we could always be releasing stuff i'm not sure about that i'm not sure if he did it because of self-publishing or it was intentional because he liked the pacing of tv shows like i say the episodic way that media is presented he kind of wanted to bring it into his own series yeah i think he's gone away from it a little bit i i see him on goodreads quite a bit he seems to be pretty active in the community and his more recent books are they're advertised a lot i don't know why they're advertised so much i'm getting retarget ads for age of myth i think is his newest series um anyway but but it seems like with this new series that he's writing it's not split up in the same way now that he's on with orbit i guess maybe he doesn't have to do this and he can just kind of go to a more classical publishing schedule yeah i think I think usually when authors make it big in self-publishing, they get picked up by a traditional publisher and then their stories become a bit more traditional. Yeah, I was looking around on his website a bit. He said he started writing a bunch back in the 80s and he wrote for a while, wanted to be an author, just got rejected from everything. And so he gave it up for 10 years and then he had an itch again and he started writing and this was the series, the Raira series. He, He wrote that. And then after a very long saga of publishing stories that you can read on his About Me section of the website, he finally started to self-publish, had to buy back a bunch of books that had been printed or something, and then slowly built up a following and was able to to make it big. So really, I mean, respect to the guy, right? Maybe I didn't like the book quite as much and maybe I was a little snobby, but total respect for all the hard work that he's put in. And the success he's had, he's a New York Times bestselling author now. You know, maybe um, th- maybe this kind of shows that traditional publishers look a lot more at writing. You know, I mentioned that his writing wasn't as, as strong as other authors. And so once he started self-publishing, there was a, a, a positive response to it. And a lot of people decided that they could get past the writing to see the story that he had written and they enjoyed it a lot. And so once traditional publishers saw hey maybe maybe this isn't all about writing they picked it up yeah so uh so indie authors that are trying to make it big i guess there is still room for you one day i would like to write a book so this kind of gives me some hope that maybe maybe i have a chance who knows we're gonna hold you to that steven all right yeah check back with me in, in 10 years okay hey siri remind me in 10 years just kidding <laughs> if we get a big uh, enough big patreon supporters to fund me I'll be able to quit my job and start writing, and and then you'll have your book, I promise. Excellent, excellent. You guys hear that? If you want to hear more about Stephen and his worlds that he's created in his mind, then donate to us on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, and, and join uh, join our Discord, and you can ask me about it, and I'll, I'll see if I can come up with anything. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the book some. Ryan, give us a content warning before we get too far uh, too far into this book. Or actually, you know, even before we do that, maybe just tell listeners, what can they expect from the series? Like, what kind of story is this? So, the Raya Your Revelations follows 
the two main characters, I would say, called uh, Royce Melbourne and Hadrian Blackwater. They're kind of a typical duo. One's a thief, one's more of a warrior, and they've banded together, and they call themselves Ryeria, and they're hired out on jobs, and they're kind of the best in the business. So it's it's really just follows them as they go through these various quests and the political intrigue that they get themselves involved in, and you know later on the how this affects the entire kingdom and world that they live in. Okay, yeah, sounds sounds like a fairly compelling premise, a bit of a fun romp through a fantasy world, would you say? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's super original, just your typical duo i mean you can think of a lot of duos of where you have one character who's a bit more serious and then their sidekick who might be more lighthearted it, it's not super original but i think that it's it's fairly easy to get past yeah it sounds to me it's a bit wax and waney if you will from uh, stormlight era too yeah wax and wayne sherlock holmes you know a lot of there's a lot of these male protagonist duos yeah, everyone loves uh, everyone loves a good bromance. Bromance is where it's at. Okay, so there's a bit of a summary. Now give us a content warning. What do we need to watch out for in this series, if anything? So I'd say this is a very tame series. There is no language or very little, none that I can remember. There is no sexual content at all. And yeah, the, the only thing I would watch out for is the violence. But this is a good tame book that's fast-paced i would probably read it with one of my kids in their early teens i would say yeah on goodreads michael j sullivan answers a question from someone asking about content which is refreshing i wish more authors would be upfront about what you can expect in their series but he says that this is one of the things that sets his books apart from current books in fantasy that it's aimed at adults but could be read by people of all ages so there's really nothing graphic and he actually wanted to write this book for his 13-year-old daughter who has dyslexia and struggles to read. So that, you know, that's a fun little tidbit. Yeah, I, I can certainly respect an author who breaks apart from the pack and makes things a bit more readable for younger people. Yeah, you know, it's it's nice to see something that you don't have to kind of cringe as you go through it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, that said, let's do some plot now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and allow Ryan to spoil the series. Like I said, I haven't read the rest of it. Maybe if this podcast goes really well, I'll get into the series. And and honestly, I've been meaning to give this another shot. So I'm going to come off my high horse in that review that I quoted. I'm open to giving this another shot. But at the same time, for the sake of this podcast, we're just going to talk through what happens in the series. Uh, Ryan, give me some of his favorite scenes. I'll read the little Goodreads blurb. They killed the king. They pinned it on two men. They chose poorly. There's no ancient evil to defeat or orphan destined for greatness. Just unlikely heroes and classic adventure. Royce Melbourne, a skilled thief, and his mercenary partner, Hadrian Blackwater, are two enterprising rogues who end up running for their lives when they're framed for the murder of the king, trapped in a conspiracy that goes beyond the overthrow of the tiny kingdom. Their only hope is unraveling an ancient mystery before it's too late. And that is the blurb for Theft of Swords. And we're going to talk through the next two books as well. Ryan's going to tell me those titles in a second, since I don't know what they are. The first book is Theft of Swords. The second, the second book is Rise of Empire. And the third book is Heir of Navron. Okay, so those are the three. 
So, Ryan, how much further past what I just read out do the second and third books go? Are they still kind of trying to deal with the uh, the events of the first book into the next couple books, or is it are they separated out to be more episodic? The first book totally gets past that. I mean, in fact, that sounded just like the description for the first half of the book first half of the first book like i said it's episodic so there's a book one and book two contained within theft of swords book one is the crown conspiracy and that's they're hired for this job to um, steal a sword but it turns out they were actually framed for killing the king and thrown in jail the princess helps them escape because she believes they didn't do it but she also wants them to take the, the crown prince with them and so she helps them kidnap him and off they go on their merry way. Keep in mind that the crown prince thinks that they did murder his father. So he's at first resentful of them and they become suspicious of the princess as they leave and people are trying to kill the prince all along the journey. And so you're kind of trying to figure out this mystery. Who set them up? Who killed the king? Does the princess bad? And they go and they end up freeing this thousand-year-old wizard who's kept in prison and you're not sure whether he's good or bad just that they were told to free him and to uh, tie things up they they get back to uncover this conspiracy it turns out it was the the king's brother-in-law who killed the king and there's this church which is trying to build an empire and so they're kind of setting up puppet rulers within each kingdom and so they had worked with the king's brother-in-law to kill the king, and then they were going to assassinate the prince and the princess so that the brother-in-law would become the king, and then he would be amenable to creating an empire. Okay, sounds like your classic family drama in medieval royal kingdoms, right? Yeah, and I think there's kind of a lot of tropes within this that I can think of, you know, off on an adventure, kind of with the unwilling hero the crown prince who at first resents the people who kidnaps him and then grows to like them and look up to them and finally declares them the protector the crown protectors something like that and then there's the old wizard who has a lot of knowledge they don't have kind of guiding them along the way so i mean there there are a lot of tropes when i do think about this first book Okay, so if there are so many tropes here, and this story doesn't sound like anything that I haven't heard before, what is it about the writing or, or you know, what is it about the story that has people giving these five-star rave reviews on Goodreads? Is it just indicative that people cannot ever get enough of these types of stories? I think there might be a little bit of that. And I also think that there are twists to the tropes later on that kind of keep people coming back. They want to they want to solve this mystery, they want to figure out the answers. And you know, I like to think of myself as somebody who has seen a lot in fantasy and I can kind of predict what's going to happen. And I was blindsided a few times in this this series and I don't know, some of them I did think were obvious looking back and I don't know how I didn't see them, but like I said, I was blindsided and so that that was I, I do love the feeling of just completely shocked and then seeing the evidence along the way that led to that conclusion. And so 
even though there are tropes, I think you can certainly make for make up for it with the story, and you can you can definitely overcome those tropes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay, that's good to hear that he keeps the story moving along, and there's some good twists. I mean, I think every reader or really every consumer of media always enjoys a nice twist. As human beings, we like to be surprised and excited. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I mentioned, that was only the first half of book one, but it sounded like the description you you read was only for the first half of the book. Okay, so briefly, tell me what happens a little bit more in the second and third books. So after that, the duo, Ryeria, Royce and Hadrian, they find this girl who mentions her village is being attacked by a monster and they go and they go to this village to try and help out and you start to learn a little bit more about the world outside of the kingdom and the world involves elves and dwarves and goblins and there's a little bit of dragons and it turns out that this monster is it's kind of like a dragon it's called a galarabrin and it's attacking this village and they need to go explore some an elven tower that's nearby this village to to defeat this monster and like i mentioned there the church which is trying to form an empire they declare that there's going to be this challenge and and whoever defeats this monster is basically the heir of navron and this is getting back to an empire created a thousand years ago. Navron was supposedly a child of a god, and he ends up forming this empire and saving the humans from elves. There's a big war between humans and elves, and he saves the humans, creates this empire, but then he has later on his grandkids, 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 you know, generations down the line, they're murdered, and the line ends, except the air escapes with basically a knight protector who they go off into hiding and nobody's been able to find the heir since and so the church is trying to set this up so they can make their own heir of navron that they can then use to create an empire through they're still trying to get this whole empire thing on the road and so long story short the guy who they had set up to kill the monster actually gets killed by the monster and then this girl who invited Royce and Hadrian to kill the monster actually ends up slaying it and becomes the Empress. Okay. Still a lot of themes that we're pretty familiar with as fantasy readers. You have the corrupt church. I'm reading a Golden Compass or His Dark Materials series right now, and that's a very strong theme. Um, and, and then I'm guessing throughout the story, our buddies Royce and Hadrian are kind of bumbling along and joking with each other and making macho jokes and then also doing cool things yeah you're yeah and at the end of the series it's revealed re remember how i mentioned that wizard who's very thousand years old uh, he mentioned that he he helped the air escape and he gave the air and the night protector these amulets to so that he could find them when he's released and the book sort of ends with royce asking hadrian Hadrian, where'd you get that amulet from? And Hadrian's, of course, like, oh, my get my dad gave this to me. And so then the readers kind of finds out the twist that Hadrian is the descendant of the knight protector. And that's why he's he has this kind of ancient knowledge of 
fighting that's been passed down through his generation that's lost to everybody else, which is kind of why he's such a such a good fighter. Nobody can really beat him in a sword fight. Okay, so sounds like what really did it for you were these twists that subverted your expectations a bit, but then when you looked back, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, that totally makes sense. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, those are always nice. Sanderson describes those as unexpected but inevitable, and that is always nice when, when you deliver. Yeah, I those those payoffs are kind of what make reading worth it for me. So I noticed that he has another trilogy in Raira, which is a prequel series. And then you were talking about how they were trying to form this empire. It looks like another one of his series, his current series, is called Legends of the First Empire. Do you know if these series are all in the same world? I believe they are, yeah. I haven't read the descriptions, but just from hearing Legends of the First Empire, it's got to be in the same world. Okay. So it's a little bit Robin Hobb-esque here where there's a, a large world, but you're just getting trilogies that you see different parts of it. And I'm guessing as you read everything together, there's going to be tidbits that really dedicated readers will enjoy. So, ah, man, it kind of sounds like I might have to get off my high horse and read these a bit. Yeah, like I said, they're relatively quick reads. And I think that for me, at least, you just push through any bad writing. It didn't really affect me that much. I wasn't reading it thinking, wow, this writing is so bad. As I would reflect on it, I would think, yeah, maybe it's not the best, but it wasn't ever on my mind. I was able to enjoy the characters. And kind of one revelation that I I got while reading these books, it, one of the critiques is that the characters are kind of shallow, two-dimensional. And I didn't think so as much. But then I realized that if if an audible narrator is good at creating distinct voices for each character, I think it can almost overcome the author's writing. At least in that's my opinion because you hear you, you can hear a lot of emotion within the voice and maybe you can even like kind of create the character in your head just through the voice that you hear from the narrator which you might not get by just reading and so maybe maybe the the flaws in a character come out more when you're just reading it versus an audiobook i don't know what do you think steven yeah so it sounds like you listen to these is what you're saying Yes, I listen to these. Yeah, I think listening and reading are two very different mediums that have their pros and cons. So for me, listening, I know I'm not going to pick up on as, as many details as when I read because my mind just kind of tends to wander. And if it's not super interesting and if I can't force myself to lock in or if I've got other anxieties on my mind, I'm going to have a hard time remembering everything. But I also think that it can, like you said, cover up for deficiencies in prose, as as well as better defined characters. So I'm not critiquing the First Law trilogy here, but just as an example, the narrator there does a fantastic job of characterizing Glockta. He's a, a crippled character who has missing teeth and has a very distinct personality, and the author's voice just takes on who Glockta is. Amazing. And I'm sure if I read yeah. it, the, the writing is also really good in that series. So I, I think I would just have a maybe a little different view on who the character was. And hearing their voice definitely adds a bit of a connection. Yeah, I would just like to second that that narrator did an amazing job with Glockta as well. I thought that character was phenomenal. 
very different kind of your like anti-protagonist but that's a side note yeah yeah so if you haven't read first law trilogy by joe abercrombie check that out i do think so going back to what you were saying about the narration covering up for flaws i think that is true but i guess the pushback would be that the narrator can only read the words that have been written so if they're able to make it sound good then there must be some quality to what's actually being written i mean i can read uh you know a, a children's book or a book written by an unprofessional author all you want but i, I don't think you're going to be able, able to make it sound good unless you actually have some good source material to draw from yeah i don't know exactly the process behind narrating an audiobook i don't know how much guidance the author gives to the narrator because there are certainly some times where he or she says something in such a way that shows an emotion which you might not have picked up by reading which maybe the author gave them feedback like he needs to or the character needs to be sounding like this or very imploring or something along those lines that you might you might easily miss when you're reading that you pick up a bit a bit easier as you're listening yeah i want to say that i've seen michael kramer and kate reading have a i think they have a a podcast of their own or i saw something on twitter recently that they were doing and i wonder if those two they read the wheel of time and a lot of brandon sanderson's books uh I, I wonder if they might be able to give us some insight if we were to check out some of the things that they've put out yeah i, I think you're right and i'm sure a lot of our listeners might know as well and they can tell us on the discord too yeah yeah let us know on the discord uh, I, I think that is a good point that they probably the, the narrators probably do get some guidance from the authors like, what do they do in situations where, let's say someone's saying something, but the readers aren't supposed to know who's talking because they're standing behind a screen or their their voice is muffled or something, and it's supposed to be withheld who is, who's actually talking. You can do that in text really easily because you don't have to say who's talking. But the narrator reads all the voices in the voice that you would hear, so that could be a situation where you, you get yourself into a bind. Yeah, I, I think there have been some minor, minor spoilers as I am listening to a book where I think, oh, that's totally this other character because I recognize the voice that they did for that character and they're using it again. But overall, it hasn't, it hasn't provided any major spoilers for me. So one thing about the pros that I still want to mention, the point where I gave up was about 70 pages in. I believe it was about 70 pages in anyway. It's been a while. But they were, they joined up with this princess and the princess is telling them to go rescue her brother. There's something like this. And as the princess lets them out of their cells and sets them off on this quest, she tells them to do this like three separate times within, I don't know, five pages. And it was just such a slap in the face to me and such a turnoff. Like, okay, I get it. Stop telling me what's happening. Why don't you just show me? And I guess that general lack of show-don't-tell writing was really kind of where I gave up. Yeah, and I I didn't notice that. So I think that's obviously more experienced authors are much better at the show-don't-tell than Michael Sullivan. Not to say that he's bad at it. I don't know, maybe he is. I don't think I'm really qualified to say that. Right, I don't think I am either. But as a reader, that was just something I noticed. And I have heard that he gets better in his later books, which makes sense, right? You do anything, you get better. Elantris is not nearly as good as what Sanderson is writing now. 
So I think maybe if I were to give him another chance, pick up some of his newer books, maybe maybe I could start with the Legends of the First Empire series. That might kind of get me off my high horse and get me into his books because I've seen enough good things and they're spread out through the community enough that I should probably read them. Yeah, I guess at this point, it is a very common fantasy series that people read. So it's easy to connect with people you find who have read them. Yeah, I know we have, we have at least one big Right Era fan on our Discord who is probably not going to like me as much after this review. But uh, hey, I, I promise to try again. I promise. You also promise to be honest, not pander, like you said earlier. I'm going to do both. I'm, I'm both going to not pander, and I'm also going to promise to try to read the series again. Hold me to it. We will. We will hold you to it. Okay, so Ryan, tell us more about the setting and the depth in, this, in the story. From your recap earlier, it sounds like a pretty classical fantasy setting with elves, goblins, dwarves, dragons, etc. Yeah, so I, I think I've been getting a bit more into detail than I probably should be getting. Um, but basically, the setting is kind of humans... It's oriented around the human kingdom, and there are elves present. They're more like half-elves, and they're treated very poorly by humans. They're they're basically enslaved. They're, they live in ghettos, and the dwarves are treated similar, too. They're not as present as the elves, but they're also treated very poorly by humans. And this is also perpetuated by the church, which kind of teaches doctrine to antagonize elves and that they're not supposed to humans are are kind of superior and elves just need to basically be cleansed from the world and so there's kind of some interracial conflicts there or interspecies conflict i should say i guess and it comes to light that royce is actually part elf later on you learn that and royce faces some antagonism from other characters in the series and the series climaxes when the humans are invaded by pure blood elves and they need to figure out they need to find this legendary horn which kind of summons a challenge so they can challenge the leader of the elves and only an elf is allowed to challenge them to make a, sh- a long story short it turns out that the heir of Navron well, Navron was actually an elf, and so the heir can only be part, he has to at least be part elf, and Royce is the heir of Navron. So, Hadrian, the descendant of the Knight Protector, and Royce, the descendant of the Emperor, were together all along, and Royce challenges the the leader of the elves. Actually, no, he doesn't challenge the leader of the elves. He challenges the leader of the church who was an elf all along, who actually killed off the the original emperor and started this whole thousand years of, of a kind of decline of the human race. And Royce challenges him to a duel, has Hadrian as his champion. They come out victorious. Royce becomes emperor of the elves. Huh. So do you ever really know what species someone's is? It sounds like they're always... There's lots of twists here, and I'm guessing that's what you were alluding to earlier. Well, yeah, and there are a lot more elfish features. They're kind of your normal features, you know, pointed ears, narrow features, uh, like narrow face. But the more 
an elf intermingles with a human, the more dilute their blood becomes, the more human they look in appearance. And so Royce is looks pretty much like a human. I think he has very, very faint elf elfish features, but he does have certain features or certain abilities that elves have, like the he has very good hearing and the ability to see in the dark. And he also gets seasick very easily, which is which you learn later on is typical of an elf. So these sound like a lot of the clues that you were talking about that if you were to go back and read through again, you'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, this twist makes sense. Yeah, they are clues that are pointed at later on. So it's not like it, it's not subtle clues, I guess is what I'm saying. It's it's very they point to those types of things and they're like, see, see, he was an elf the whole time. Uh, that's a little bit disappointing. I, I think I would have preferred them to be more subtle. So only the the real smart ones pick up on it, right? But I always like to feel like I'm 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 solving a mystery, so to say. Yeah, I, I, I do like that. I think it's generally more rewarding for the dedicated reader. So are the elves actually evil or is the church just the villain the whole time? It sounds like there's a lot of racism discrimination here against the elves, but the elves themselves are not bad, are they? It's it's sort of, I guess, a misunderstanding where the elves are, I think the elves see humans as very short-lived, fast-reproducing. They're, they're kind of just going to reproduce to take over the world, and so they need to do something to stop them. Whereas humans are just, they, they treat elves very poorly, mainly because of how they're taught by the church. And this was an intentional thing which the main antagonist, who was leader of the church this whole time, purposefully taught because, oh, well, he purposefully taught this. I'm actually, I can't remember why he taught that. Sad, I just finished the book and I can't even remember that. Uh, well, okay. I, th- I think we, 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 have the, we have the gist there. Tell us about the pacing of the story. Was it fast-paced? Did it keep you engaged? Yes, definitely fast-paced story. A lot happens. You don't have a lot of dialogue as people are traveling along the road for 100 pages trying to get someplace it it's very fast paced lots of things happen yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure which uh series you are throwing shade at there with your 100 pages of travel i can guess but definitely wheel of yeah, time yeah <laughs> okay that that would have been my guess <laughs> okay i mean that's fine to each their own you know it sounds like the author here is not even is not attempting to have that level of detail, which is which is fine. I personally don't like very unnecessary traveling. And a lot of times it is necessary, but sometimes it's not. Well, come on. Eventually in Wheel of Time, they're just zipping around from place to place because no spoilers, but something has been discovered that allows them to, right? Right. But around, I don't know, books like 8, 9, and 10, or maybe it's 9, 10, and 11, things really slow down there. Yeah, every winter... When the snow comes down, I always just think of Perrin and crew slogging through the snow endlessly. You've been scarred, I think. Definitely, definitely have uh, the slog. Anyway, uh, enough Wheel of Time. So, to uh, to kind of wrap up our discussion here, tell me how exciting, epic, awesome, like, were there big climactic scenes that made you just, you know, your jaw drop and and really uh, grab all of your imagination? Not really. When I think of climactic scenes, I think of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, when the 
the elves and humans and dwarves have formed a coalition and attack Mordor. And that's sort of the peak, I guess, of climax. And there were some large scale battles, but they were not, they were not done to the point where I felt they were particularly epic. They were kind of just glazed over, in fact. And they're mainly towards the end of the book as the elves are invading. And it's basically just the elves stomp the humans and can't be stopped. So I don't know. It wasn't super epic. The coolest scenes, I thought, were probably where Hadrian was fighting. I I liked Hadrian's character just because he was very skilled, kind of like a Driss Duerden type level of sword fighter, very difficult to beat. And so it's kind of satisfying to see him just kill everybody or actually he doesn't really kill everybody he's 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 a very morally good person so he just defeats people and kills bad guys okay i had started to imagine that scene of Geralt in the first episode of the witcher where he just tears through a bunch of people and is splitting skulls open and the cinematography is beautiful and really showcases his fighting ability but then once you said that he didn't kill people then i had to delete that from my memory well he does kill people, but I guess this kind of gets into another thing is characters are very black and white. It's you're either good or you're bad, you're bad. And I guess Royce, he is kind of a gray character, but ultimately he's just very good and he he overcomes his bad backstory to become a good guy. I guess that's not really the flavor of the day for fantasy in this the year 2020. We have a lot more gray characters. Most characters, black and white characters, are really kind of have been pushed out the door a little bit. I think people have just seen a lot of black and white, and you can create a lot more interesting situations as you get into more morally ambiguous stories, characters, scenes that characters get themselves in. Yeah, I guess my take it is that black and white characters aren't realistic. I don't see black and white characters. When I leave my house for the day, it seems like everyone's kind of got a backstory. Everyone's got some motivations pulling them in different ways. So gray characters are just easier to connect with. I don't know. I feel like most of the people I know and that I associate with are generally good people. So I would disagree with you on that point. <laughs> I guess I guess what I should say is people have a lot of motivations that are lurking underneath the surface, right? Like when you look at someone you don't know that they were just diagnosed with cancer or that their dog is missing or, or you know, something. You, you don't understand all of the undercurrents that are beneath someone. And when I hear black and white, I'm thinking of the white wizard that just does good because he is good and will always do good and has nothing else to worry about other than doing good, right? Or the evil wizard who is the opposite. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Anyway, readers, let us know what you think about uh, black and white. I, I see Ryan's point there a bit. So I guess the question I would pose to to listeners to discuss with more on Discord is why does every author want to include gray characters if we really do see a lot of black and white people out in the world around us? Yeah, I'd be interested in hearing what people think about that. Let's close with our worst of the best segment. I don't have one because I already, I already voiced my opinions on the series enough and I need to shut up. But Ryan... Why don't you tell us your worst of the best? So at the end of book two, actually, there's a very emotional scene where Royce's love interest is kidnapped by kind of his nemesis, who is like a genius. He kidnaps his love interest, 
and then we'll provide her back to Royce if he turns over a couple prisoners. And Royce does so, turns them over, and then he releases the love interest, and they're kind of walking across this bridge. Royce's prisoners are walking one way, Royce's love interest is walking the other, and then right when she gets to Royce, she gets shot in the back with a crossbow and dies. And it's very emotional for Royce. Uh, I, I definitely saw this coming. I knew it had to happen. There's a lot of foreshadowing. But I just think that it was so sudden that the emotion for me wasn't really there. I, I thought that the author could have done a better job at setting up this scene and carrying it out. Wow, can we get a Rick and Stark shout out? He gets he gets taken out in the same way. Oh yeah, Rick and yeah, he's like running back and then he gets shot, yeah, with an arrow. I remember that now. Yeah, I just I mean that's a spoiler, but does anyone even care about him? Not really. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything, at least in the TV show. George R. R. Martin named his dog Shaggy Dog, and Shaggy Dog is a plot element that is there just for the author just so that the author can laugh at readers who think that it's important because it's not. And that was interesting. Are you serious? Yeah. Do, have, has George R. R. Martin said that? Look up Shaggy Dog on Wikipedia. Oh, I will have to do that. Yeah, that's why he's that's why he's named Shaggy Dog. It's a total red herring. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I learned something new. Yeah. Anyway, with that, uh, with that little piece of trivia, let's go ahead and close here. Thanks, Ryan, for joining me. And thank you for convincing me to... Give Raira another chance. I promise I will this year before the year expires. And it looks like with, uh, you know, with coronavirus going around, I might have plenty of time to read. So it shouldn't be too hard to fulfill that promise. Yeah, it was good to be back. Good to talk about it. And I look forward to hearing what you think, though. If I may, I don't think your opinions will change very much. But I am going to give it another shot and maybe see if I can overcome my opinions. I really need to get past this this prose I really need to get past this prose thing that I have and stop being such a snob and just give authors the benefit of the doubt. Well, this everybody has their challenges, Stephen. This is yours. This is the cross that I will bear. Okay, thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening. And until next time, we are Phantology Podcast. See you later. <laughs>